Blog Talk Radio. From the offices of Lives in the Balance, here in Portland, Maine, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Parenting Your Challenging Child. Delighted to have you with me today, and of course today is a parents panel day, uh, where we will be joined by Susie and Kathy, and uh, maybe even a few callers as well. I'm seeing that we may have one on the line, and sometimes we do that on the parents panel. But so uh, to our caller, um, let me ask you to hold on just briefly as I bring uh, Susie and Kathy on the air. Hi, Susie. How are you? I'm good, Dr. Green. How are you? I am well. And Kathy, how are you doing? I'm doing well as well. (laughs) Um, Delighted to hear it. Um, We usually start our parents' panel programs Um, by asking both of you if you have anything that you want to make sure we cover today. But we actually have now two callers, and I am inclined to take their calls first, if that's okay with both of you. Of course. That would be fine. That all right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go to area code 630 and bring that caller on the line. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. How are you, Dr. Green? I am doing well. So you've hit us on a parent's panel day, and that is perfectly fine. What is on your mind today? And in telling us, just make sure you don't name any names or give any other identifying information. Sure. Um, I I did not know this was a parent panel day, so I don't know if this is an appropriate day to call. It is a fine day to call. All right. Um, I am actually a a therapist, and I've been using this technique, and I was calling about one of my clients. Is that still fair game? I think so. Okay. And and actually, hearing that there's parents in the line, they might have some, some insight. Um, so I'm working with a boy. I've been working with him for um, about four months now. Um, he is about nine years old, and uh, when I met him and when he was described to me by mom and dad, he sounded like uh, it's a perfect fit for this approach. I mean, he is extremely rigid in his thinking, and uh, when things do not go the way he expects, uh, he is just quite explosive. And I have seen um, great progress and good results from doing this approach with him, um, but there's a couple things that I'm bumping into that I'm, I'm struggling with. Um, one is that... Uh, this child is extremely anxious. And um, I guess the parents actually had some neuropsych testing done a month or so ago, and actually longer than that. And the conclusion made from this report was that the primary issue was some extreme anxiety. So he's medicated for that. He's very obsessive. Um, so if he hears that some cool family event is coming up two weeks in the future, he needs to know all the possible details when they can't give them to him, he gets extremely anxious and might get explosive just because mom and dad can't answer the question. Um, and so that's one thing that I have found that 
sometimes even in my office, we get so locked into something needing to be some way that we cannot get them out of it, even if we try to troubleshoot it on a good week and make a plan using collaborative problem solving for if that kind of thing happens in the future. So that's the first concern. Um, the second is that he's been in lots of therapy before, and I am, I am finding that mom and dad are having a very hard time wrapping their minds around collaborative problem solving and, and buying it 100%. So, for example, dad will say things like, well, I think, the, I think the best approach for my son is to do collaborative problem solving about 70% of the time, but sometimes, you know, he needs to know that he just needs to listen. And so there are certain things that dad will basically force him to do in a very plan A sort of way, and they, they inevitably result in a, uh, a confrontation and an explosion, but dad doesn't see it as such. He sees it as, well, we can't let him walk all over us. He needs to know who's boss. So those are the two things that I'm bumping into that are kind of keeping uh, therapy from progressing smoother and, and farther. So I'm, I'm curious to hear any advice or insight you might have. So Susie and Kathy, do you mind if I take a crack at this one first? Go ahead. No, please, yeah. The um, second issue mm-hmm. is that, there have, that the parents are having trouble wrapping their minds around this and the father is still saying things that are um, a very different way of thinking mm-hmm. than my model, suggests to me that he um, hasn't quite, as you said, got his arms around solving problems collaboratively yet. Mm-hmm. And I find that the best way, and you'd have to tell me if you've done this already, but the best way to get people's arms and heads around the model is by engaging them in a discussion about a child's lagging skills, their child's lagging skills, Mm -hmm. and identifying highly specific, and this may relate to the first issue that you talked about as well, identifying highly specific unsolved problems. I find that discussing lagging skills with parents um, even if they do return to old ways of thinking, it's easier to bring them back because when we engage them in a discussion about their child's lagging skills, it's, it's almost impossible to come out of that discussion not thinking that the child you're talking about has lagging skills. Mm. And lagging skills doesn't really go together with um, getting away with stuff. It's kind of like you can't sit on the fence about that stuff. I think it's either one or the other, and and maybe it's not perfectly one or the other, but in general, it's either one or the other. You either think this kid's doing this stuff because he's lacking the skills to do it better, or you think he's doing this stuff because he thinks he can get away with it or because he's pushing your buttons or because he's manipulating or whatever those other explanations are. And what I find at the end, and that's usually the first session where we're talking about lagging skills and unsolved problems, and because the parents have been engaged in that discussion, they are agreeing at the end of this session that, boy, this kid really is lacking a lot of skills, and that makes it easier. First of all, that's huge for a lot of parents. That's massive to, to be in one session to have people now, sometimes only temporarily because sometimes this has to be repeated, but mm-hmm. at least after one session, they are now – viewing their kid through completely different lenses. 
The other good thing about that, uh, though, is that if they should regress back to old lenses and start saying things that are reflective of those old lenses, we can remind them of the new lenses that they were wearing at the end of that first session. So that would be question number one, is whether that has taken place yet and whether you are yet in a position to remind, it sounds like it's more dad, of the lenses that we are wearing when we are trying to solve problems um, with his son. Yeah, <clears throat> that's that's definitely where we started. Um, and our, our, our conversations continue to come back to um, the skills he lacks. I think a couple of the factors, and, and, and dad can be brought back to that point. Um, I, I just find that most often I'll meet with them, and that's half of our work is kind of getting them back to, oh, right, right, we need to treat these as, as lagging skills. And then I hear by the next week about how that, that lasts a few days. Um, I think one hard thing is that I think dad is kind of, uh, anxious himself, perhaps, and so when he feels out of control, he, he feels like he has to do something to kind of get back into control. But I think the other thing, too, is, um, you know, like I said, they, they were in therapy for a long time with a previous therapist, and that therapist's approach was uh, consequence this kid, take away things until he understands that you're the boss. So when I first saw him, it was one of those situations where, you know, in his room was a mattress and um, a lamp, and he was still having all the same behaviors. So I think they just have some very entrenched notions that are hard to shake. So it might just be a, a, a time issue that I need to keep bringing Dad back to the skill. Well, um, here, here's what I would say, though. They're not, they didn't seek treatment with you because the, what that other therapist taught them to do was working really well. They, they sought treatment with you because that wasn't working really well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but if I have a parent who continues to go back to an old way of thinking, mm-hmm. and we bring them back a few times, and we bring them back a few times, um, after a few times, it's time for a sidebar with the parent mm-hmm. to ask about um, what seems to be going on, which is that mm-hmm. um, he leaves the office recognizing that all of those other things that he says about his son don't seem to make much sense, but then in between, he goes back to a different way of thinking. What's mm. up? Yeah. Um, and for that to be discussed, um, because I think it's okay to point out to parents that um, the lenses that we are working from don't seem to be taking hold with them, and in the same way that we would do the empathy step with a child about um, what's getting in the way, not mm-hmm. uncommon for me to have that discussion with parents who mm-hmm. I need to know what's getting in their way. Um, this dad keeps going back to an old way of thinking after leaving your office. You, you don't want to be um, in this. You don't want to be the, the dad doesn't want to be seeing you for the rest of his life. Right. We need to figure out what's keeping him from grasping hold of this, not grasping it because he clearly grasps it. But what's going on in between? that causes him to go back to an old way of thinking. But let me now ask Susie and Kathy if they'd like to weigh in as well. Yeah. Um, Susie, what do you think? Kathy, what do you think? Um, Kathy, do you want to go first or do you want um, me to? I, I can go either way. I'm ready, but if you're ready to, go ahead. 
Um, all right. I guess, um, as Dr. Green was saying, uh, I thought it was so important to not to restate the problem, but to help them see that the other therapy wasn't working well and um, and to try to help the dad articulate his concern as to get his concern on the table about why he is resistant to plan B, um, why he wants to do it, you know, maybe 75% of the time, what's going on with that other 25%. Um, I was also wondering if the neuropsych test revealed any linguistic problems that uh, their son might have. And lastly, I was, um, you've probably already done it, but I was wondering if it would help the parents to see the lagging skills as a learning disability of sorts, a developmental delay um, that helps a lot of people change their lenses. Hmm. Kathy, yeah, that's you want to wait? Oh, yeah. go ahead, sorry. No, I'm sorry. That's fine, yeah. Kathy, you want to uh, weigh in? Yeah, well, I wanted to weigh in in that um, in our household, I probably am more effective in um, doing Plan B with my son. I think I've been at it longer, and I probably, in a fundamental way, believe in it more but what I found that works with helping my husband um, is he'll see it working, and then he starts to pick up some of the language. And then I, I also do what I call the immersion program within our home because my my younger son, who is, does not have challenging baby behavior, will come home and report about somebody at school that's doing something. And I'll say something like, gee, I guess he's lacking some skills. Something's getting in his way. And trying to make it more about the kid doesn't have the skills to do it better or can't do it better rather than he's a bad kid or he's, you know, we should avoid him for that reason, but but to have some empathy for him. And then I found that my husband starts using that language. He doesn't have the skills. If, if we're trying to convince my younger son not to step away from any kind of bullying and to make sure that he stands up for kids. And the other part of my immersion program is that I kind of torture my husband, but when we're driving somewhere, I say, do you mind if I listen to a Lives in the Balance um, radio <laughs> podcast? Because <laughs> nice. I, I need to prepare for the show, and I like to know what's happened on the recent show so that I'm up to date. And... It, it, it draws him in. He gets really interested, and, he's, and then we have a conversation about it afterwards. So it's usually only 45 minutes of driving somewhere, and I find he's not going to sit down and read the book, but he'll listen to the tapes or the broadcasts, and, and that gets him more interested in it. In, That's in, great, and, Kathy. Um, and, and I say, do, do you mind? Because I really need to catch up. And uh, I'm a little bit behind here, and and he he's like, no, no, that's fine. And then he actually is interested, and hearing it is so much more dynamic than um, I don't know than reading a book for some people. 
Yeah, that Paula, makes a lot of think? sense. I like that. I like that. Um, I think, yeah, I think I think mom and dad, they're both very educated. They're the kind of people who uh, can talk like they agree with something very well but might have some different opinions. But um, I, I like that idea. I've, I, I, thinking back, I've encouraged mom a lot to listen to those programs, and she has, and she's, she's 100% bought in. Uh, but I have not encouraged dad to, so I think he might benefit from that. Um, so I like that idea. Here's the only other thing I would add related to your question number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get what you're saying, that the kid is anxious. Um, but I am skeptical about whether that description alone is going to serve you well in under in in understanding why kid and possibly dad as well are rutting into certain ways of thinking that they're having difficulty getting out of. Um, mm. They they both may well be anxious, but mm-hmm. I'd be more focused on the thinking rather than than I would be on sort of a more generic emotion like anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then the only other thing, and I just caught a sniff of this while you were talking, you said something, maybe you could clarify this a little bit, about coming up with solutions for the next time it happens again. Um, what yeah. we're looking for, if I'm, if I'm on to something there, we are looking less for a solution for what to do next time something happens again, and more for solutions for what for a solution that's going to keep it from happening again in the first place. Right. So I don't know if that's meaningful or not. I just caught a little bit of a sniff of it in what you were saying. Maybe there's nothing there. Maybe there's something there. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Uh, what has happened a couple times is that the the child comes to my office and proposes that we – kind of switch up the normal order of things that we do and and I and I say, you know, no, this is this is how it's been or um we agreed last time this is what will be accomplished and he'll have a very hard time. And so a couple times um when he's come and he hasn't pushed back like that, we have used that time to do a proactive plan B for, hey, you know, I've noticed a couple times um you have a hard time with following the order of stuff we do in here. And and he's been able to kind of talk through it a bit. We've tried to identify some things that we'll, we'll do different, that I can do different, that he can do different to make it a smoother process for him to just kind of do what we need to do. I've even changed the way we do things for his sake in terms of predictability and stuff. Um, but to go back to what one of the parents said, something very interesting, the neuropsych testing didn't reveal any kind of um, – verbal processing deficit or something like that. I think you said a linguistic problem. But both uh, myself and his special ed teacher at school and his parents have all noticed that he sometimes seems to not really grasp fully what is said to him. It's hard to talk through a lot of things with him. I think that's also been difficult um, trying to use this approach with him. Sometimes he's able to, to, to talk through and it comes with great solutions using a plan B approach. Other times he just seems to not really get it and quickly get frustrated and just tune out. So um, 
I don't want to take too much of your time, but that when you said the linguistic problem thing, that, that came in mind that he really does struggle sometimes with, with receptive language, understanding what's being said to him. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. You've just given me an idea, and it won't happen this year, but um, a, a population that we have neglected with these radio programs is clinicians. Mm. And I would be very open to doing a once-a-month program for clinicians to call in and um, get guidance on working with families and using the model. So um, I thank you for your call for that reason as well. You've just given us an idea for another way in which we can reach out and help people, which is what our goal is. Thank you for calling. Yeah, thank you very much. I hope this has been helpful. It has. Thank you. Good deal. Well, Susie and Kathy, what do you think? Should we take another call and then spend our last 15 minutes or so talking about we're doing things in sort of reverse order today? Is that okay? Yeah, I think sure, that's call. fine. I'm sorry. Go take ahead, Kathy. Caller. I, I was going to say take the caller. They've been waiting. What? Oops, I think I just cut off Susie. So, okay. I hope she'll call back in. Um, here's our caller from area code 620. <laughs> Um, welcome to the program, but don't start talking yet because um, it's taking a while for you to come on. There you go. Um, how are you today? Fine, thank you. Good. Um, what's on your mind? And in, in talking with us, just don't use any names or identifying information. Yes, I called in last week, and I just wanted to give you a quick update. Outstanding. Give us a little background so we remember you. Yes, I have uh, an explosive nine-year-old. He's actually 10 now. He just had a birthday. And um, he had um, had an issue with a teacher at school and got suspended because of it. Um, and we, my husband and I realized that we had taken our hands off the wheel of doing the collaborative approach. And now we are both recommitted and 100% into it and we have spent a week with daily plan B with not only our explosive 10 year old but also with the younger brother and um, have seen some wonderful positive results forward. Um, one of the surprising um, side effects I guess you could say of this of the discussions that my husband and I have been having at home about plan A, plan B and plan C is that our 10-year-old child uh, came up to us during one of our talks and said, I understand what plan B is. Can you explain to me what plan A and plan C is? And so we described it, and he said himself, um, so when I hit somebody, I'm doing plan A. And that was huge, in my opinion, that mm -hmm. he made that connection um, and so one of the things that we've been talking about as a family is how even though he feels compelled to explain to everybody exactly why he doesn't want to do something at school when the teacher gives them an instruction, how it's appropriate at school to personally for him to be plan C, to let things go mm. as much as possible. And when he feels like he needs to make his voice heard, that he needs to ask for a plan B conversation with the adult. That, and it's usually his para that he's with. And so we've been working from that angle where he is reminded in the morning before going to school that it's his responsibility as a student 
to be plan C when things aren't going his way as much as possible, and when he feels like he has to ask for another way of doing things, that he does it in a plan B approach. And we've just had calmer days coming home from school and calmer days here at home, even when things have happened wrong. Um, He's taken two or three opportunities to actually say out loud, I'm getting angry and I feel like hitting someone. So I feel like we're making progress. I think it's, number one, thank you a lot for calling back in to give us an update. Um, You know, I've not, I've given much more thought to the usefulness and simplicity of ABC for adults, but what your call is saying is that the ABC thing is also elegant in its simplicity and usefulness for kids. And it sounds like he got it. And it's a very nice, simple way of organizing approaches to solving problems. I think that's great. Yes. And we have, just in the last three days as a family, um, restructured. Um, we I stopped using rewards and punishment um, as of November, um, but the kids keep asking for some sort of system where they can earn an allowance or something like that. So we've made it um, tied to being a responsible family member and a positive communicator. And uh, they earn, they just earn the opportunities to, to be considered a happy member of the family, I guess, is what I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it less about the behavior. And uh, so pointing out to them, oh, you communicated that so well. You used plan B with your brother. You know, and these are now the expectations in our home. And absolutely, plan A, plan B, plan C, they're getting it. And uh, it's great for me to be able to remind both my kids, you know, you were just using plan A, and plan A does not work well. Can you either find a way to communicate using plan B and let's solve a problem together or let it go? Which one? Very do you interesting. Decide? Very cool. Susie, yeah, Kathy, so, either of you want to uh, ta- ask our caller anything or weigh in? Oh, I like that. I'm going to use that with my kids. <laughs> I think that sounds really awesome, way of explaining. I mean, I've done it without using the, the language. I've, I've told my younger son that, you, yes, we don't like what just happened, but we're we're working on a couple of other things that are really more critical right now, so we're going to let it go but not to negate that it happened and that we noticed. But I like that plan B and plan C and plan A for the kids because that's so simple for them to get. It's a great idea. Outstanding. So thank you again. (laughs) You bet. And you know where to call if you need any more help. Yes, sir. Well, I look forward to staying in touch. This This feels like a lifeline, and um, we we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and we are committed to becoming better communicators ourselves, both with our children and with each other. So Great. this has made a huge impact. I'm glad that you're using the program that way, and um, feel free to continue doing so. Thank you. You bet. Um, all right, Susie, Kathy, either of you want to um, – Discuss anything that you had on your mind now that we are further into the program. Sure. Um, I know someone 
that has a four and a half year old daughter, and um, we have gone over the assessment of lagging skills and solving problems. Um, she um, and identified. I'm just trying to find, yeah, um, that the child has uh, difficulty persisting on tedious tasks and expressing concerns, needs, and thoughts and words. Um, and the two highly specific unsolved problems are that she has trouble cleaning up her toys after she's done playing. And um, he's the father's tried talking with her and um, helping her to articulate her concerns. Um, however, he either gets, I don't know, or the dog did it. So... Um, <laughs> Yes, she's very <laughs> clever. Um, so I tried to help as much as I could, but I'm kind of at a um, stuck as to help him to drill down further. Give us what is being said first and then second by the kid. What, well, what either. Is, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. What she's saying. Yes. How is she to trying to get the ball rolling? That's just it. She says, "I don't know." And no, I'm talking about what's being asked when she oh. says, "I don't know." Sorry. Um. Just for her to clean up her toys after she's done playing with them. So it would sound like I've noticed that you have difficulty cleaning up your toys after you're through playing with them. What's up? Right. And she says, I don't know. Yes. Got it. I have no idea. It depends on what the I don't know means. Right. I don't know could mean lots of different things. Could mean that the unsolved problem wasn't being stated as clearly as I just did. It could mean that it's being done more in the heat of the moment than proactively. Um, one of the things I'm always listening for when people tell me that a kid wouldn't talk, and I don't know is not exactly not talking, but kind of in the same ballpark, is what was the timing on it? Right, and we had talked about that, and he went back and, you know, set aside a time with his daughter and had a conversation in a calm moment, and she um, just didn't know. So... A few other possibilities. 
Mm-hmm. The unsolved problem is a little bit big. Cleaning up a little clumped, as I sometimes call it. Okay. Um, cleaning up your toys after you're through playing with them, it it could be that if we split that a little bit more and mm-hmm. made it more specific to something that the child is having difficulty cleaning up, rather than cleaning up globally, uh, naming something specific that the child is having difficulty cleaning up might mm-hmm. um, help her talk about it further. Um, sometimes I don't mean means I don't. Uh, sometimes I don't know means I don't know. Um, sometimes I don't know means that the kid isn't really comfortable talking yet because they've had a meaningful amount of Plan A prior to this attempt at Plan B. You'd know better whether that's the situation or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is there's a lot of reasons that a kid might say, I don't know, and that timing, proactive versus emergent, wording, um, really not knowing, I would make those my top three reasons that kids say, I don't know. And so what I do is once I help people adjust those three things, we adjust the wording if it needs to be adjusted, make it more specific rather than clumped. We work on the timing and make it proactive rather than emergent. If we find that the kid really has no idea, despite the things we are doing to try to make it better timing and more specific, then the adult can do some educated guessing and hypothesis testing. Um, as long as they're phrased as hypotheses to see if the adult can give the child some ideas about what might be getting in the way of her cleaning up the toys after she's through playing with them. Um, That's the usual sequence of events. Let's make sure our wording is right. Let's make sure our timing is right. If the kid still doesn't know, we'll take her at her word and possibly give her some hypotheses and see if those start to get the ball rolling. Thank you very much. Generically, that is the best I can do without, of course, knowing this mm-hmm. little girl. But there you have it. Thank you. Kathy, what's on your mind today? Well, I have a couple things, so we'll see. I know we only have about 10 minutes, so we'll see what we get through. Um, the first one was um, my son was having a lot of trouble in school in December and January, and it, it turned out a, um, an unfortunate circumstance happened where one of his teachers grabbed a notebook from him in in an attempt to get him to do something and he has real boundaries around people touching this stuff or him and has some trauma related to that from his former um, school and when I learned about that I talked to his teacher and I said you know you really that's a real trigger for him and, and you know should be avoided it just really doesn't it's just going to set things in motion as far as escalating him, and it happened a second time. And so he was having a really hard time in school. We we worked some things out. We had um, a local person doing um, solving problems collaboratively come in with us, and we worked very hard with the school to get him, you know, to be able to come back into school with, with less stress going on for everyone involved. And wouldn't you know it, the second day he's in school, a kid comes out of science with him and pokes him on the shoulder, or taps him on the shoulder and 
and my son turned to him and said, I really don't like to be touched. If if you do that again, I'm going to flip you or take you to the ground or something. And they walk a few feet more, and the kid can't resist and pokes him. So my son takes him to the ground and, of course, you know, gets sent home. And um, I was at a conference that day, so luckily my husband got the call because, you know, at that point I'd had enough of those calls from the school. And um, the, the director of the school told him that you, know, you, you threatened him and, and by saying, I'm going to take you to the ground. And my husband said to him, well, I'm very disappointed in you. And they drove home in silence. I had three hours to think about it. So I decided I was going to go home and I was just going to be the zen of calm when I saw him because he already felt bad enough about what happened. I knew he did. And I... Um, I didn't say anything, and he said things didn't go so well. And I said, I heard what you know what happened. And he told me, and he said, well, I made a promise to this kid that I would, I would take him to the ground if he touched me again. So I had to keep my promise. And I said, well, my concern about that is that you know you're getting older, and and people take any kind of physical aggression very seriously, and I'm concerned that you're going to get in trouble, and it will be something that dad and I won't be able to help you with, you know, someone will press charges or, you know, something that you didn't intend to happen will happen. And I said, you know, so so I'm really concerned. I I don't really know how to help you with this. And I'm racking my brain, you know, what do you think? And I I said, because it feels like you're not trying. And he said to me, he said, I am trying. If I weren't trying, I would have taken him to, to the ground right away without giving him a warning. Interesting. And it was, it was really cool that he was able to give me that piece of information that and he was trying. He, he did tell him to stop, maybe not in the most effective language, but he did tell him to stop. And so we, we decided to, to make some other adjustments, medication and, and, and getting him some additional counseling. But I was so pleased that the conversation when turned out that way where, you know, he was able to say, but I am thinking about this. I have been trying. It's not working for me. I don't know what else I can do. And it's so much more effective for me to hear that than to just kind of yell at him. Because, you know, done that a hundred times and it hasn't worked. It hasn't stopped the aggression. Um, but it was interesting to have his input to know that he really he really is trying and he is doing the best that he can right now. And certain things are triggers and, and, and maybe we need to get him some help and you know, maybe an O T can help him with the sensory defensiveness that he has when someone touches him or how to handle asking someone not to touch you, you know, to define your boundaries in a way that won't sort of provoke them. But, I was just really pleased, not that the I whole think that's thing had cool. happened, but it was just cool to get information out of him where it didn't end up with both of us being angry at each other and, you know, not solving any problems. But also cool to know that he is thinking about this enough, apparently, to be sorting through that, A, he is working on it, and, B, this was better than it could have been. Nice right. to know that that's going on in there, um, I think, because it tells you he's taking it seriously. 
And um, sometimes kids can point out improvement to us where we adults may not have seen it. Susie, any thoughts on that? Um, just good for you, Kathy, um, for embracing the model and 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 doing it with your son and doing it so successfully. Um, it's just, you know, it's a process and it does take time, but it's just way cool that your son is beginning to um, think in a plan B sort of way and and it's just going to get better. I'm very hopeful because the aggression piece is the one that scares me the most. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. I, I know of some other kids now who have records, and I'm just so frightened of something like that. You know, and that's the thing where you think, how how can I help my kids so this doesn't happen to us? You know, you rack your brain on that one. Well, the good news is that he seems to be aware that he does have that response. Um, what the, the, what would be nice is if there was a way, and you're not going to be able to do this full time because there are going to be surprises that occur in his sensory world that he can't anticipate. Right. But I'm wondering how many instances in which it looks like he was surprised were actually um, things that we could have anticipated. Um, not we, but possibly he, um, because there are certain situations in which um, body contact, physical contact, people um, bumping up against his sensory difficulties, that's happening under some conditions, and they're more likely under some conditions than on others. I'm just wondering if that's, Yes, it would be great for him to have a way to um, have an adaptive response when they happen, but probably even better for him to get good, if, he, if he's not moving in this direction already, at anticipating these things. Once again, there's no way that you can anticipate them with 100% reliability, but I wonder if he could get better at anticipating them with greater reliability and um, prepare for those, uh, keep them from happening, I guess is the big question. I don't know. You mean have like a sort of a planned response, like, uh-oh, someone bumped into me. Oh, well, that's a plan. I would call that the emergent response. I guess and that would, it's important for him to have that because we're not going to be able to prevent it every time. I guess what I'm wondering about is if we took a closer look at the scenarios in which um, it's happening, is there some predictability to them? Is there some rhyme, okay. rhyme or reason to it? And I'm, just given the way these things usually go, I'm betting that you all could narrow it down a little bit further so that there are times when he needs to be more vigilant about prevention, not just about being ready with a response, but about not finding himself in a position where he has to respond at all because it didn't happen. I guess that's what I'm always trying to do with all of these unsolved problems is see if we can make them as predictable as possible. And I'm just wondering if this one could be more predictable than it feels right now. So he he could be more aware of when this type of situation is going to happen or is Correct. likely to happen so that he can prepare himself to react 
Or take preventive action. Take preventive action, like saying, oh, maybe I shouldn't walk next to that kid, or that's not really a great example, but... um, but, you know, it always seems like the boys at this age get into the fifths pretty quickly, you know, and, and that's where I wonder, how do you stop that? Well, I'm wondering about the problems that give rise to it. I'm wondering about the scenarios in which that is most likely to occur, and I'm betting the house that that's more likely to occur under some conditions than others. Okay. Worth trying to figure out. Unfortunately, that's all we're figuring out on today's program because we are now out of time. Thank you both for another great parenting panel program. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll do it again next month. And I'll be back next week with another Parenting Your Challenging Child program. Great. Take care. Thank you. Goodbye.